God, sp God speaks to us um, in his word in 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of man. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him there, let him remain with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Emily. It's been said, my name is Zach. I get to serve as a director of operations here at our shiny campus. Uh, man, welcome. It is so good to be here with you this morning. And I don't say that just as a pleasantry, man. It's such an honor to crack open this book and talk about it. Um, we're going to be diving back into the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians today, which it seems like we've kind of been out of for a while, the Advent, and we had a really thick sermon last week that Ben did a great job with. And then we've got this sandwiched between last week's reading and then next week's reading about uh, the uh, being widowed. And uh, it's kind of central to what Paul is saying all throughout 1 Corinthians. Um, he's addressing uh, both circumstances and vocation. And that's a really important distinction. We're going to cover both of those today, at least try to tackle both of them. And one of the problems that you've heard about over and over again in the introduction to these sermons is that uh, the church at Corinth was really uncertain about how to move forward in their faith. There was a lot of weird stuff going on. They needed a lot of correction. And Paul is writing this letter to them to really help them out. And one of the things that they uh, really needed some correction on is whether or not they should abandon certain things in their life in order to follow Christ more deeply. Uh, for example, earlier in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, the question was raised whether faith in Christ should mean that a husband and wife should abstain from sexual re uh, relations. And Paul gives a resounding no in verse 3. Another example in verses 12 and 16 is the question, what should we do if one marriage partner puts his or her faith in Christ, but the other doesn't. Should the person who's a believer leave the marriage? Again, Paul answers no. And so he's setting straight some questions that were arising in the church, but also reminding them of the things that Christ had already done for them in kind of some of the direction that had already been given. And so... One of the things that this arose from is the Corinthians were, were giving far, far too much significance to their circumstances. Can you relate to that? Man, I know I can. There are sometimes I feel like the sky is falling on a bad Tuesday, you know? And that's what's happening here. If anything is clear from the preceding passages that we've already been is that 
you know, Christianity has far-reaching implications on our life, and Paul is trying to tell them that, and he's trying to remind them that the allegiance that we have to Christ is a whole life allegiance. It has implications on every aspect of our life, our goals, our conception of community, authority, marriage, sexuality, all of that, all, all we've, we've talked about in this series already. And many Corinthian believers were also naturally asking the question is, what does Christ, what does my belief have to do with my calling? What does it have to do with my vocation? It's a really natural place to be. How does the gospel shape my sense of practice and calling? And man, the question of calling is really, really important for modern people. It was important back then, it's important now. And just for context, let me put that into perspective for you. The average person, whenever you hire them on a full-time job, does anybody know how many hours in a year they're expected to work? It's 2,080, 2,080. So you can take, if you're a salary worker, take that number divided by 2,080 and that's your hourly wage. Between the years of 25 and 62, that means that the average person will work over 100,000 hours towards their vocation, whether they feel like it's their calling or not. And so there's a lot going on in this passage today. Really, to, I hope that we can step back and ask, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? How am I doing it? And what am I doing it for? That's a lot of who, what, and hows. But don't worry, we're going to unpack all of that today. Okay? Would you pray with me as we dive in? God, as we open this book, this word of life that you have given to us, I just pray that it would come alive to us today, that you would stir up our hearts. Um, God, let us hear you clearly in this scripture today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, a lot of times, I grew up in church, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody preach on this scripture. Conveniently, they leave out the, you know, the passage before and the passage after, but this one seems to be kind of cherry-picked as something that uh, a lot of preachers will tackle. And I remember a lot of times that this was presented as a bloom where you're planted message, which is great. That's beautiful. I think uh, there's a lot of validity to that. And so I can take a, think of no better place to start today than introducing you to a beautiful flower who is named Petunia, or better known as the Wonder Dog Toonie. This is my dad's dog, and she is the most photogenic dog who has ever existed, as you can see. But more than that, she had a really rough, rough start to her life. And I've, I've hit my dad joke quota for the day, by the way, with that one. Thank you, thank you. But that resulted in her losing a leg. And uh, I don't know if you've ever met a three-legged dog. Has anybody ever met a three-legged dog? Man, it does not slow her down one bit. She is full of more life and energy and spunk and I don't think that she knows she's supposed to have a fourth leg. I don't think she knows it. See, what's happening is she's not letting her circumstances define her in the ways that a lot of us let our circumstances define her. And yes, I would like, like to set the record straight because I always get the question, can she swim in a straight line? And she can. She can swim, and she can swim in a straight line. And man, she's such a loyal, sweet, kind companion and uh, compassionate uh, gift to my dad. I'm so glad that she's a part of our family. 
And so she's in a spot to where her circumstances aren't really bothering her a whole lot. But man, from a worldly perspective, circumstances matter a whole, whole lot. Even more, calling and career, many times we're at the center of who we think we are as an individual and what we've been able to accomplish with our lives and how we feel about our success. We're all taught by the prevailing culture and many of us, our parents, they tried their best, they really did. But we're taught that it's better to be a doctor than a shop worker. We're taught that it's better to be a tech startup billionaire than someone who retired from the state and draws a pension. We're taught it's better to be married than single. Better to be self-employed, be your own boss, than to be somebody who works for the man. Funny story, some of you may not know this, but my, uh, you know, two lies and a truth story is I actually went to school to be a dentist. In the state of Oklahoma, I'm licensed to do a lot of dentist stuff. I thought it was a great way for me to be, you know, to care for people. There's a lot of people I knew in my life that suffered from dental problems, and it's really expensive. It was a way for me to impact my community and provide care. It was really missional. Went to school, and guess what? Being a dentist actually sucks really bad. It's a horrible job. It's gross. You have your fingers in other people's mouths all day. I don't know what I expected, but down to the practical part of it, it really wasn't that much fun. And so fill in your own blank there. You know what I mean? What is it that you've said that you wanted to be, you want to accomplish? And many of us, as a result of our conditioning, are on this never-ending quest to better ourselves. We're always looking for the next education, the next letters after our name, the next promotion at work, the next title change, the next more people reporting to me at work. And man, none of those in themselves are bad, and we're going to get into this later, but it's how they drive us and how they shape our heart that really matters. And in the process, we give our circumstances far too much weight, and they become the driver of our life instead of pulling Christ to the center of who we are and that defining us. We forget that Jesus was a carpenter, right? As Paul laid out this uh, message to the Corinthians, he is once again trying to shift our focus from who we are in this world and again, like he has in the past, give us, give us an eternal focus on what it means. And he repeats the theme over and over and over again. I'm going to go over these really quickly. Verse 17. Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. So we took out the part about circumcision and slavery, and what he's saying is, man, where, wherever you are, stay there, right? He's trying to drive home a point. Remember, as I said, the Corinthians were trying to abandon or thought they had to abandon many things in order to deepen their faith. They were trying, but in the process, they were letting go of things that they didn't need to. And Paul is reminding them that you need to be the salt and light right where you are. And many of us need to hear that inside of our circumstance. Where can you be the salt and light right where you are? And I want to make a really important distinction here. Paul is in no way telling us that things shouldn't be completely, radically changed whenever we're saved, right? Whenever we accept Jesus. He himself had his life completely blown up at conversion. Here's a guy who was at the top of his game, 
knew everything that he knew, needed to know to be super successful, the next celebrity Pharisee, right? And everything he knew was reset. His relationships, his work, his physical location, his reputation. It'd be really strange if Paul, of all people, was the one that was telling us that nothing was going to change and everything was going to stay the same. Instead, what he's doing is he's urging them to remain where they are if it's God-honoring. Persecuting Christians was not God-honoring, right? He had to change that part. We're going to dive into that a little bit later as we end, so I want to put a pin in that, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll think about it in just a second. The important part here is that it's, it's actually spiritually irrelevant whether we are a white-collar or a blue-collar worker. It's spiritually irrelevant whether we're a stay-at-home mom or we manage a Fortune 500 company. Our energy shouldn't be spent on changing our life situation or climbing the corporate ladder, but living the Christian life within it. Again, he says in verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Paul uses two cultural illustrations to help them understand this point. He talks about being a slave or being circumcised. And what he's addressing in those two are either your racial background, your socioeconomic status, right? And he's, he's saying in, in, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, live the life that you're assigned. And if you're a Jew, stay a Jew. If you're a slave, stay a slave. If you're a Gentile, stay a Gentile. If you're a free man, stay a free man. Paul says it doesn't matter either way. It doesn't have any spiritual significance, but he's telling us at the end, keeping God's command is what counts. Keeping God's command is what counts. Same as bond servant or free man. While he certainly said to gain your freedom, if you could, be content to remain a slave. Man, that's wild. You should see yourself, he tells him, you should see yourself as the Lord's freedman and be set apart from the slavery of sin and death. And he also tells the freedman that he has become a slave to Christ Jesus, that he was bought with a price. Again, our identity is, is not a product of our, our racial, social, or economic status, but rather our relationship with God through Christ. Reading through this, man, it reminded me of another story in the Old Testament and the command from God to his people living in exile in Babylon. Many of you know this story. It was a command not to let their circumstances define them. You see, after a long period of disobedience, judgment had finally arrived. And after a lot of doom and gloom in the first half of Jeremiah, we get to this verse in chapter 29 starting in verse 4 and it says thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel to all the exiles whom i have sent into exile from jerusalem to babylon build houses and live in them plant gardens and eat their produce take wives and have sons and daughters take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
Man, talk about circumstances of circumstances and really kind of shed light on the circumstances that I struggle with in my life. There were a lot of people who would have rather been tilling fields outside of Jerusalem and instead they found themselves in a situation that would have been an absolute nightmare. The temple destroyed and then Judah's best and brightest are exiled a long, long way from home. Seems like really bad news. Seems like horrible circumstances. But the next several chapters in Jeremiah are filled with some of the most beautiful promises in Scripture. And I'm just going to read through these really quickly for you. He promised that God would bring back his people from captivity, that he would love them with an everlasting love and turn their mourning into gladness. He would make a new covenant with them and he would give them singleness of heart and action. God would even cleanse them from all the sin that they had committed. And then he summarized it very beautifully in one of the most famous verses of the Old Testament when he said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and plans to give you a hope and a future. How would that feel if you were living in exile in Babylon and this was spoken to you? Man, like I just, this week I've been thinking about how hard it would be for me to internalize this. If I was the one living in captivity, living in exile, and hearing this promise. And it reminded me that, man, I have a promise of an inheritance that is internal and it's beyond my wildest imagination. And so many times I forget what that is. Because this promise from God to his people in exile meant that he knew exactly what he was doing in assigning the circumstances to these people. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what they were experiencing. He had known it all along. He always does. God makes his plan and carries it out. And everything that he does is for the ultimate good of his people. Say that again. Everything that he does is for the ultimate good of his people. And here's the truth for us today. God knows exactly the circumstances he's placed us in. He knows exactly what you're experiencing. And he loves you unconditionally. He's gone before you. He's with you now. He will be with you forever. We have an eternal promise from our Father that no matter what our circumstances are, he is with us. So let's move on really quickly. We've been talking about who we are in Christ. But let's talk about whose we are because that's a really important little blip in the, in the very end of their scripture today. And it's critically important for us to remember that our fundamental identity as Christian, Christians flow from who we are in Christ, not what we do, right? It's not about who we are. It's not about what we can accomplish. And I know I'm really quick for me personally, to find my ways that are not Christ-centered. And I get a, a, a huge amount of emptiness from that, and many times I mesh myself with the things that I perceive are value coming from me. Maybe your job, maybe your, your marital status, your family, your social structure. Man, all of those are significant, but we really run into danger whenever we let them define who we are, or we get worth from them. I am the world's worst at my emotional 
happiness, my feeling of well-being, my sense of contributing is many times tied to how I feel I'm doing at work, how productive I feel, how much I'm contributing, how much I feel like the people around me feel like I'm contributing. Can you relate to that? It's us trying to find fulfillment from things that are are not Christ-centered and then becoming an idol to us. Because when they're good, man, they are so good. It's easy to point to those and say, this is what makes me happy. But those same things become a spare tire around your neck whenever they're falling apart. Whenever your kid's not acting the way they should, when things are not going great at job, when you're not making the grades that you want, whenever somebody else gets the promotion ahead of you, it, it's a tell of two ditches if there ever was one. And we get so enmeshed with the outcome that it determines our sense of satisfaction and happiness. That leads us to this whole thing that like, we all fall into, and that's the, the if-onlys. If only I had this car, if only I could afford a bigger house, if only there, I had the, the, the toy that I wanted, if only I found the right mate, if only there was a target next to a quick trip in Shawnee, can I get an amen? <laughs> right? Then I could be happy. That one hit really close to home, didn't it? Yeah. Here's the, here's the amazing thing is God calls us to accept our circumstances and to find commitment in, find contentment in Christ as the center of who we are. It says it in verse 23, you were bought with a price. You are not your own. Knowing and believing that with God's help allows us to cope even when circumstances aren't good. I mean, if we can hold on to that, it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. Let me finish with just some like real practical application on this text today. And first and foremost, hear me well. God is much more concerned with the way you do the job that you have now than he is with you getting a new job. He's way more concerned with the way that you're living inside of your current job than whether or not you get a new job. We had a staff planning meeting six, seven weeks ago, and Ivy Pinwell, our kids director, just kind of said something off the cuff and it like immediately struck all of us in the room because we were talking about how we live and breathe and move as people who work in a church. And I think it's really fitting for the sermon. It's been written on his whiteboard for seven weeks. And she said, don't worship like you're doing the dishes. Do the dishes like you're worshiping. Do the dishes like you're worshiping. We get it so backwards with our potco culture all the time, and we see this room and this space and these interactions with people as one of the only places that's sacred in our life. And man, I feel like that's so backwards. If this is the only place that we're putting our best foot forward and we're loving people in gospel community, man, we've missed the mark. We're called to love the Lord God with all of our hearts and then love our, the neighbor as ourselves. love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the call. That's the, the fundamental cornerstone. We lose sight of that, especially at work. There is no place that is better for a rivalry or resentment or hard feelings than whenever you clock an eight to five someplace and have to rub elbows with somebody, especially whenever you have to be accountable to someone else as an adult. Right? That's difficult. But it's the primary place where we get an opportunity 
to live the gospel. And man, we have a lot of different occupations represented in this room today. Full, there are a lot of full-time students, administrators, teachers, managers, the list goes on and on. And I think what we all need to hear from the scripture today is it's not, it's not about us and our jobs. It's absolutely not about us and our jobs. But whether in our present occupation, what we are doing today, are we enjoying God's promised presence? And are we obeying his commands in the way that we do our work? Are we enjoying him in his presence and are we obeying his commands inside of our work? And second, the, the command to stay in a calling is not absolute. And that's really clear from not only this scripture but others. Uh, you know, Paul allowed uh, an, an exception to this principle right here in 1 Corinthians 7. But also other places. In the Old Testament, there's a provision for freeing slaves. We're also familiar with stories of a tax collector who became a preacher and fishermen who became missionaries. Um, there's also jobs that people are saved out of that they can't continue doing, right? If you're doing something indecent or corrupt or you're in a job that requires you to exploit people, that's not God-honoring. And Paul is not by any means saying that the professional thief or the Corinthian temple prostitute, which we've heard about, should stay in a calling which they were called. The question of Corinth was, when it comes to Christ, what should we abandon? And Paul very clearly here is saying, you don't need to abandon your vocation if you can stay in it with God. You don't need to abandon your vocation if you can stay in it and honor God. His concern is not condemning job change but to teach that you can have fulfillment in Christ in whatever you decide to do. You can have fulfillment in whatever you decide to do. Man, I know that's stepping on toes, especially a lot uh, with our contemporary, you know, Western society where everything's about how quickly I can advance and I can get, you know, what I want and the salary and all that other kind of stuff. That man, I, I really feel, I was convicted you know, talking to my little kids this week about what plans for their life are. And I think we really need to consider long and hard about what we're communicating about success in our society, whether that's biblical or whether that's American culture, right? And this word for all of us people who are driven by success, who are doers, who wanna excel, who wanna achieve, take all that ambition that you feel right now, take all of that stepping on your toes, take all that drive and everything that you would want to pour into upward mobility and pour it instead into spiritual zeal. Pour it, pour it instead into cultivating the enjoyment of God's presence and obedience to what he's revealed to us in his scripture. I want to talk to you college students for just a second because I know there are a lot of you in here. Or young people or maybe people who are struggling with vocation. You have an interim profession, you have the question, maybe you're seeking education, and what's the implication of this for you, right? What does this mean for me? And I want you to ask yourself this question, and that is, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? I hope that your response is something like, uh, his will is that I maintain close fellowship with him and devote myself to obeying his commands. I think that's the fourth or fifth time that's come up uh, just me talking here today because it's so central to this. So much so that I'm going to print, I think I'm going to print this 
and hang it in my office. That his will is that I maintain a close fellowship with him and devote myself to obeying his commandments. Devote yourself to that with all your heart. If you're a college student, if you're wondering about vocation, if you're wondering about uh, occupation, take whatever job that you want, wherever you feel called. I have no doubt that if you are fervently seeking God with your whole heart, that he's going to distribute you exactly where you should be. You're going to be exactly where you should be. Tim Keller really famously has told a story several times that everyone who comes to him seeking counsel on big events in their life and they want to know, you know, what God would have them do or what their guide, what his guidance would be. And he always gives them the same advice. Make a decision. When they want to know, hey, I should do this, these are my options. He simply tells them, make a decision. There's nothing that you can do to upset the will of a sovereign God, and you are 100% responsible for your own decisions. We get that really mixed up sometimes because we think that this is like 60% me and 40% God, or I haven't prayed enough about it, or I'm seeking God. And what Tim is saying and what he tells people is both can be 100%. You 100% are in the will of God, and you are 100% responsible for your own decisions. So find something that you feel called to and seek him, seek obedience to him in everything that you do. And that really leads me to my last point. This text implies that the job that you have now, as long as you have it, is actually an assignment from God to you. Verse 17 says, let everyone lead the life in which the Lord has assigned to him. God's sovereign. It's no accident that you are where you are. It's no accident that you're going to land where you land after college. It's no accident that you, you know, got a degree in criminal justice and now you're teaching somewhere. I don't know. Right? In Proverbs, it says, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Again, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will be established. You are where you are by divine assignment. Even maybe you got there by fraud. Maybe you, you lied or you feel like a fraud. I know I feel that every once in a while. Doesn't matter. Your job is your ministerial assignment just as much as mine is working full-time vocationally at this church. Where you've been planted is, demands just as much from you throughout the week as what you feel like uh, your demands are here on a Sunday morning. It's just as essential. We get a reminder of this every Sunday at the end of the service when we're sent in the city to love our neighbors and push back darkness. Again, let me remind you, you were bought with a price. So live the life assigned you and find Christ at the center of everything that you do. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for your word today. pray that uh, we could meditate on this for the rest of the week, that it would shape and mold us and make our heart look more like yours. God, we thank you that you have assigned us where we are. We pray that we could be the salt and light and focus more on you and less about our circumstances. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.